This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. John Doyle, welcome to Better Reading. Yes, a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. Yeah, no, this is really fun. I've got the best job. You know, I get to talk to um, lots of people like yourself and I love it. And very recently I I spoke with Dawn French, actually. Mm -hmm. And in my research about you and in my conversations with her, I discovered you two have a lot in common. Oh, well, we, we, we both uh, use the English language. Yeah, right. Well, you were both teachers before you became comedians. Right. And you both, you know, you're both in duos, in a sense. She is with Jennifer Saunders and you are with H.D. Nelson. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I suppose, yes, there's a commonality there. There is, there is. John is one of Australia's finest writers for stage and screen. His work spans the theatrical success of The Pig, Eye and People for the Sydney Theatre Company to the small screen acclaim of series such as Shangi, Marking Time and Two Men and a Tinny. He was awarded the Order of Australia for his services to entertainment and as a supporter of charitable organisations such as the United Nations Children's Fund. In 1985, he met Greg Pickhaver and Roy and HG was born. The character of Roy Slaven has appeared alongside HG Nelson on various television series, including Club Buggery, The Channel 9 Show, Win Roy and HG's Money, The Dream, The Monday Dump, The Ice Dream, The Dream in Athens and The Memphis Trousers and the long-running Sunday afternoon radio sports program, This Sporting Life, which is where I think I knew you from, and that was on Triple J. But who is really, who is Roy Slavin? John has just released Blessed, the breakout year of rampaging Roy Slavin, which delves into the early years of the master of midfield mayhem, and he's here today to talk to me about it. I mean, what a career, right? Uh, well, it's it's an unusual ride, Cheryl, really, because um, in the early days of uh, this sporting life, we uh, had no expectation of um, even getting the following week's show up, to be honest. Uh, we, we didn't have a, a contract there for many years. We just agreed to turn up the next week. We had no expectation at all that uh, that we would endure in this way. But it's uh, it's been really a, an absolute pleasure. It, it, it's an odd thing. I, I mean, I've been asked about it many times in in the in the past. Uh, Greg is an extraordinary person to work with. We we both come from a theatrical tradition uh, that uh, that is born of ensemble. I, I did uh, really an apprenticeship in theatre when I joined the Hunter Valley Theatre Company with uh, director Arnie Nimi, and uh, we were a small group of actors who uh, were taught to work to make 
the others look good and you assume that they will be doing the same and what comes out of that is greater than the sum of its parts. I won't say it works all the time, but if that's the philosophy you go into rather than the philosophy that says save yourself, which is uh, often the mechanism that drives uh, companies and various productions. Uh, I've been in those circumstances and it's quite difficult to work in. But uh, the ensemble tradition is, uh, I'm grateful that that is the way I've been trained. And Greg came out of a similar sense with um, when he was working in Melbourne. So uh, when we first met each other, we and decided on how it was going to work and the, the rules of what we would do, it, uh, it was natural for us because we both had this ensemble training. So correct me if I'm wrong, because it was a large part of my growing up and I'm not a sports person at all. Yes. And even though, I mean, you guys, that's your gig, but I mean, in a funny sort of way. So it appealed to me more than serious sport does, if you like. So I was aware of you, as I said earlier, uh, through Triple J, but do you think that you came to the masses or to huge popularity after the commentary of the Olympic Games? Is that when really every Australian started to know who Roy and HG were? Look, we you would call it we had a hit. Show. Yes. And that, that was a hit, uh, without doubt. It was an extraordinary time. It was an extraordinary time to be in Sydney, really, because the expectation was so low. Um, <laughs> nobody wanted the games. Nobody wanted them at all. In fact, many no people one cared. Left, yeah. no, many people left town. Um, and not that I saw much of it because I was too busy, but it seemed to me that Sydney was like a large country town mm. there for that uh, for that two weeks. It was quiet. It was orderly, and it had a single focus, and the single focus was the games. Uh, it was a marvelous time. And uh, whatever we were doing uh, struck a chord at the time. Tell me how you came about it, how you got the gig and how it came into play. Uh, Well, Channel 7 approached us uh, with the idea of doing a uh, late-night review. Uh, I don't think they had an idea of what they were getting at all. Not at all. They didn't have a clue. Um, The uh, sports department they were working for uh pretty well left us to our own devices and i think they were a little bit shocked when we exposed some of the ideas or some of the things we were going to do and uh they hummed and hard and in the end thought well it doesn't really matter it's 11 o'clock at night who cares no one's going to be watching anyway no one's going to be watching anyway (laughs) so uh once we began of course it uh became a abundantly clear that we couldn't sustain what we were doing uh, without some resources. And mercifully, they gave us the resources to do the editing and so we could do our calls and what have you. And and once we, I think by, by about day four, we got into a groove, but it was pretty, hmm, yes, it was, was very difficult for that first three nights. It was so, I mean, it was so awesome, I think, on so many levels. Um, the humour, you know, and, and of course you were really, it was a commentary on what really happened. It was just your commentary. 
and I don't think I don't think Australians were prepared for that. You know, I think that it, it came out of left field. But anyway, I want to know. It seems to me, and it's like writing, it's like writing fiction and writing nonfiction. Sometimes the work is so good, it seems seamless. It's like it just happened, it just came out. How did you prepare for that? And how did you, you know, how much work went in it outside of the production work, for example? Uh, uh, well, I, I'd say we'd been preparing for that gig for about 20 years. Yeah, wow. Okay, gotcha. Uh, we had a, a, a technique that you couldn't really explain. You couldn't train anyone to do it. Mm. If somebody asked me, how do you do it? I, I had no idea. From doing, uh, I don't know how many thousands of hours of uh, ad-libbing uh, spontaneously on air, uh, you can just do it when the red light's on. You can't do it when the red light's not on. But when the red light comes on, somehow you discover the voice. I can discover the voice of well, Roy's voice and Greg can find HG's voice. Uh, we, we, we tried, uh, you know, make, making prepared programs, tapes, etc. back in the late 80s. They were as dead as they were dreadful. Um, but when, you've, when you're working live, when the red light's on, something takes over. <laughs> And uh, the same thing happened with the Olympics. We, we'd always, the, the Olympics seemed to us to be a, this, this very over-ripened plum ready to be gorged upon. Nobody had really done it. Nobody had taken a, 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 a baseball bat to the Olympics as is, someone should have done long ago, but it hadn't been done. And we were lucky enough to be given the gig to do it, because mm, it went global, didn't it? Your commentary. Uh, look, I think it. I, yes, yeah. it, it got us some work in the UK, and there, we were approached by an American network. Um, I think it was CBS uh, spoke to us about doing a program there, and then when we explained our modus operandi, they could not accept that. They could not. They, they wanted to see everything. Mm in writing that we were going to say, do, before proceeding. And we said, well, we can't work that way. Mm. No, no, I can imagine. It's a different sensibility there, isn't it? Let me, for those people that are listening, they might be a bit confused. So I'm talking to John Doyle. John Doyle's character for many years was Roy Slaven, right? And John's also, uh, his partner in crime, or the other comedian, is Greg Pickhaver, who is H.G. Nelson. So if that doesn't confuse you, dear listener, and if you didn't grow up the same time I did, please follow because it is very entertaining. I want to talk about great duos, right? I mean, you know, because what comes to mind when I was reading the book, what came to mind was Abbott and Costello, French and Saunders, who I talked about earlier, Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis. How much, because as you say, it's kind of like an organic relationship, isn't it? It's a The work happens organically. Do you think... It's a chemistry of finding, like, you know, finding a partner, I guess. I mean, how is it that I talk, when I talked to Dawn French, how is it that she found Jennifer? You know, she said they were two very different people. Talk to me about how you found each other and when you knew there was something. Well, we were doing a, um, we were both jobbing actors. The work ran out for me in Newcastle after uh, two years of being in a repertory company. 
So uh, I, I came to Sydney looking for work and managed to get a bit of work with the STC, with the Sydney Theatre Company. And uh, after that, got a job uh, on a show called Five Times Dizzy, which SBS were making. And uh, I was cast as Professor Dim, and Greg was cast as Mr. Wilson. And uh, Mr. Wilson and Professor Dim uh, were sort of background characters. Um, didn't have much to do at all, but had to be around, had to be on set or in the caravan in Australia Street in Newtown where it was mostly recorded. And uh, so we found ourselves sitting in the caravan together for hours every day. This went on for a couple of months, this shoot. And uh, Greg at that stage was uh, doing work as H.G. Nelson on the Rusty Nails um, breakfast show on Triple J. And uh, he would do a uh, pretty ferocious three-minute editorial every Friday. So we got to talking while he was preparing this. We'd uh, talk about whatever issues had caught his eye. And having just arrived from Melbourne, he had no inkling really and very little understanding of rugby league. Fair enough, not many people do. But I did, having been a sort of student of uh, rugby league coverage, largely in newspapers. I used to enjoy reading um, the, the sort of nonsense they would write about it uh, on the back pages of the Daily Mirror. And they take it very seriously, don't they? <laughs> very, very seriously. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I was able to bring Greg up to speed on some of the uh, nuance in <laughs> <laughs> in the coverage of Rugby League, which he found mightily amusing. Mm. And uh, it occurred to him at the time that that I'd be a reasonable foil for him because um, he was planning on building a show for uh, afternoon radio. He, he wanted a show that uh, sounded to a casual listener like any other sports show. So and it was only if you listened carefully that you could discern that there was a bit of a difference there, that we were coming at it from a different point of view. So uh, I then joined him uh, on Rusty's show, delivering my own editorial, usually cricket or rugby league focused. And uh, then the management uh, gave us the four hours to experiment on the Sunday afternoon and uh, Greg brought in another couple of characters. I mean, we had quite a few characters in the early days and it sort of boiled down in the end to just Greg and me. And uh, we did that then for roughly, I don't know, nearly a quarter of a century, I think. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how that came about, just geography and circumstance. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So I want to go back to, to growing up and, and yeah. how you came to this career. So you were born in Lithgow. Talk to me about early years. Was it that you were in awe of, of comedians? Did you, as a child, were you somebody who loved comedy? Yeah, I, I suppose I did. I, well, my father did. Dad, Dad enjoyed uh, the goons, of course. Oh right, yeah. So uh, we listened. I, I, I sort of enjoyed the goons, but wasn't quite quite for me. But I was interested in 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 radio. I, I experimented with because Mum and Dad gave me a tape recorder in 1966. Back in the day, yeah. Oh, there you go. You've got it. Wow. Still have it. You still have it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you get tapes for it? No. No. Not anymore. Not anymore. No. No. Uh, And so I would uh, experiment writing things and recording things that sort of amused me. Uh, Don't know if it amused anyone else, but uh, and then um, uh, as a result of that, I, I. there was a teacher, a, a brother, Josephus Garrity, a lovely man, a young principal of the De La Salle school I was at, who saw this, me working with this tape. I must have taken it to school to mm. play to some of my mates. Well, I did. And he uh, was most impressed and he... he uh, got a, what uh, are the parishioners, uh, Mary Joseph, who had a reel-to-reel and a good microphone and what have you, and uh, he encouraged me to write some things for the class and he'd record them and it was the most exciting thing. This I was in first form. Yeah, wow. So that's year seven. Yeah, so you'd have been about 13. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, younger, uh, yeah. 12. Yeah, wow. So I, I'd write some scripts and, and we go and we go into the hall and she'd be there and have it all set up and we would record these Was things. Was her name really Mary Joseph? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is that a Catholic name or what? <laughs> it is, isn't it? And it it ended up in a bit of a bit of a scandal because um, they eloped. Oh, Mary Joseph and the teacher. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And uh, I felt slightly guilty that I'd <laughs> been the part of the reason why they got together. But anyway, it was a small scandal in the in the town there for a while. But anyway, yeah, that was that. So you were recording snippets. So you really you were kind of um, performing or broadcasting at, at a young age. Did that fit in? Like I, I'd imagine, you know, when you're writing and performing comedy um, at that age, it's kind of different to what the rest of your friends are doing. Like was it something that you just kept pursuing? Were you the odd one out or would, or did you use humour to be accepted? Um, yeah, I, I I think, yeah, but part of me wanted to be the class clown. Mm. 
I guess. Um, once once you once you say or do something that gets a laugh, well, it's pretty addictive, Cheryl. It is pretty addictive, but never in my never never at any stage did I imagine that you could somehow make a living out of this. That that was just no, that was that that was insane. Uh, I, it never. The penny never dropped that you could make a living out of this. Um, I, I would have been nearly thirty when that when that occurred. Yeah. Mm. Were you looking at what people were doing around you and saying because you were so unique? I can't imagine. Was there anybody out there you thought, well, I want to be like that? Or no, I, no, no, not at all. No, no, no I can't no. find that. In, in no, no, no. There, yeah. was, there, there was no one. No, no I did. I didn't um, want to be like anyone else. I did. I just took a path, line of least resistance all the way, I think, Cheryl. I, when a, a teacher's scholarship was offered, uh, mum and dad thought it was manna from heaven and I'd be insane not to not to take it. So so I did. So I, I just could, not that I could ever imagine myself in front of a classroom. I got a real shock when eventually I ended up in front of a classroom and uh, within a little while I realised that this was probably not really what I wanted to do. So, but and really, the the, the first year I, I was appalling, just just appalling. Um, <laughs> but the following five years, I worked really. I enjoyed it immensely. I would say for for five years, and then I, I sort of started to feel as if I was repeating myself a bit. And, uh, and then drama came along at the university, so I went back to university and did did the new drama course that was happening there and the Hunter Valley Theatre Company came to Newcastle and there was this explosion of interest in the theatre in Newcastle. There were people were writing their own things. The Castanet Club started. Uh, it, it was, there were theatre restaurants uh, opening every second buddy week. There were, there were, there were um, warehouses that were empty that people would put on shows. It, it was an explosion there for a few years. It was, wasn't it? So much great talent came out of there. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. It was an extraordinary time and I was just so lucky again to be there at that time and, uh, as I said, to do an apprenticeship mm. on stage. Yeah. So when you left and decided to come to Sydney, what were you thinking? That I wanted to be a jobbing actor. I wanted to see if I could survive knowing that, you know, I'd taken three years leave from the Department of Education, so that was still there if it didn't quite work out. Mercifully, it sort of did. I sort of got away with it for a while. Um, But had radio not come along, I don't know what would have happened, Cheryl, to be honest. I don't know. What a remarkable career. Tell me, we've got to go in a minute. Um, career highlights. Career highlights? Uh, well, the most exciting time for me, I think, Cheryl, was going to uh, the second play I wrote called Via Faith was a co-production between the State Theatre Company of South Australia and the Sydney Theatre Company. Going to the opening night of that was, for me, that, that was, I, I was really pleased with it. I, I, I was very, very happy with it. Yeah, that, that was the most exciting thing. And seeing um, 
when Marking Time went to air, uh, I, I felt a great sense of achievement having got that over the line as well, because it was critical of the government at a time when the ABC was under pressure from the government, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, it was, uh, I thought, a great achievement. <laughs> the poor ABC. It's always under pressure, isn't it? I mean, you yeah. know, it would just would be... Uh, the, the greatest day once, you know, we get somebody in Parliament who sees the value in it. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. don't get me started um, <laughs> <laughs> because I can, I, I tend to go on. Um, is there anything you would have done differently? Um, let's see. Um, look, yes. Um, I didn't take years 11 and 12 very seriously at all. Mm. Uh, I fell in a heap, really. Um, Distracted. That, yes, yes. Uh, and falling behind, I was overwhelmed. I, I the the expectations I think were too great upon me. Uh, so I, I I fell behind and was expelled on one occasion, and it was a, a an awful time, and it cost me between five and seven years. I think, um, because I didn't complete my degree until I was 25 uh, or 26. Uh, I should have completed it when I was 22. But maybe you wouldn't have met HG at the time. Well, that's true. That's okay. very true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, things happen for a reason, right? <laughs> well, in hindsight. hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just also about writing the book. What made you write the book now? And I just want to know how you felt about because I often think memoirs are like putting together your CV, right? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how many times in your career you've done that, but I've, I've done it a few times, not a lot, but I have done it. And sometimes you look back at it and think, whoa, did I do all of that? Is that how you felt with about writing this memoir and why now? Uh, well, um, no is the answer. Um, <laughs> uh, Louise Adler approached me about doing some sort of uh, uh, autobiography, which filled me with horror. I had no interest in doing that at all. So we left it at that. And I um, realised that when I was oh, in late 20s or something, I'd sat down and written out everything I could remember, mm. everything. Uh, and I found this, I found this uh, material and uh, read through it. It was, was rubbish, really. It was dreadful. Um, what do you know in your 20s, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it did trigger some memories. And it occurred to me that, that it, I know Roy's voice very well. Why couldn't I write Roy's biography and use Roy to travel around Lithgow and bumping into all my mates? And that to me seemed a kind of interesting thing to do. And I chose 1967 because it was such a, such an extraordinary year. Um, you had the winds of the counterculture and the uh, the summer of love. Now, these echoes coming into Lithgow from England mainly and to a lesser extent from the United States. So you had 
my parents' generation had the echo of the Depression. So you had the Depression meeting the counterculture in Lithgow, uh, mainly through, uh, through radio and to a lesser extent television, but it was when television was arriving. So pop culture was marching into Lithgow, unstoppable. And so there was that. And Lithgow at the time, in fact, all of Australia was, I'm sure, deeply sectarian divides, especially between Catholics and Masons, Catholics and publics. And uh, Do you know, I, I thought that Catholics and publics, because I went to a Catholic school, and yes. I thought publics was a religion. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, well, anti-religion, really. Yes. <laughs> exactly. the, the work of the devil. Yeah. They I just no thought, oh, on their publics, yeah, yeah that's right. Public, none, mm-hmm. none whatsoever. Mm. Um, and uh, for, for a Catholic boy to bump into or get caught by publics, you just got your head bashed in and vice versa. So, uh, so there was that going on. Mercifully, that's almost disappeared in our society. Uh, but in 67, it was there writ large. So there were various themes and interests of 1967 that appealed to me. So I thought, well, why not a year in Roy's life where things happen? And uh, it was a way of telling a story. Yeah, it's clever, very clever. Got to let you go. John Doyle, thank you so much for your time. The book is called Blessed, The Breakout Year of Rampaging Roy Slaven. And I I feel, you know, really honoured to have chatted with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for your interest, Cheryl. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.